This episode is brought to you by Hub24, whose purpose is to connect advisors to innovative solutions that create opportunity. They're massive supporters of advisors, in particular those going solo, uh, and they're one of the early players in the managed account space, and, and their epic functionality in that area, as well as their commitment to user experience, has led them to become a market leader in terms of advisor satisfaction. I can speak from personal experience when I say their BDM team are total legends, and they're there to help you work through the best solutions for your business. So you can check out more information at hub24.com.au. This episode is also brought to you by Centuria, who are a boutique ultra high performing fund manager. They've won pretty much all the awards there are to win. Uh, They've got a bunch of five star rated funds and they're heavy into technical support for advisors around their products and strategies. On top of that, they're just an awesome group of people and they've got a dedicated team there to support you. And if you haven't already spoken to the guys at Centuria and heard about what they do, do yourself a favor and reach out. Steve Crawford. Hey, buddy. Hey, long time no see. Uh, yeah, long enough. Couple, <laughs> Not couple, long enough? No, no, no. <laughs> it's never long enough. You know that, Patty. No, no, no. It's all good. What is it, about three or four weeks since we've seen each other? So. Yeah. I missed you. Yeah. It was a sunny place last time we caught up. And what? it's just typical Sydney overcast weather now. Not like Melbourne, mate. It's like 25, 26 well, degrees. Perfect sunshine. Beers yeah. Now yeah. we're in a room with no beers. But there's water. That's probably healthier. Coffee. We're really coming up in the world, I feel like. We've got chocolates for our podcast now. Fuji, Fuji water. So anyone that's like coming on the podcast, it's quite a luxurious experience these days. It's uh, <laughs> it, it definitely is. I'm glad I came in now when there was uh, bef- after the the. Well, you've the seen chocolate. you've seen the transition. You've I been have. on when we were just plebs on Zoom. That's right. And well, then, you were on Zoom. I don't know whether you were plebs on Zoom, but you were definitely on Zoom. Maybe I've been interpretation. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Our guests certainly picked up uh, our status. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> So what's been happening? You've been um, so Steve. Oh, for anyone out there, he, he does a bit of bit of coaching, practicing advisor still. And yep. um, is there anything anything that like because everyone everyone knows a bit about Steve? So is there anything new that's been happening that's more interesting than otherwise? Uh, probably not in the not. In, I mean the the business space. It's the same stuff, right? So we have got the the financial advice side with experience wealth, and then the coaching side with uh, the XY Academy. Um, on the personal side, we're doing a renovation, which is a very interesting exercise. Going How from many a, bedrooms are you putting on? Yeah. Well, it's pretty much, it's, it's almost an entire knockdown rebuild, except we're leaving three rooms as they are and then rebuilding the whole house around it. Are you going to live inside floor. them? As you- no, we've, we're in a granny flat out the back. So we've sort of gone from a you know four and a half bedroom house to a one bedroom plus house oh, for, so when they're on the jackhammers at 7 a.m you're uh, you're yeah, up that, and at them yeah well th- thankfully that bit's finished now <laughs> okay. but, uh yes it's it's very interesting going from a i suppose from a, a financial planning point of view from uh having conversations with clients around the practicalities of going through a renovation and, and ha- never having ever actually lived through a big one we've done one mm. we've done an extension but it was basically no changes to us so, so a bit more empathetic now oh, yeah absolutely <laughs> Um, so that's where now are. you're like, oh, it's a good thing that we told them to allow for more money. Yeah, twenty five percent on top is pretty much what we've figured. Yeah, uh, whatever the builder says, add another twenty five percent. Is that because Mel's opted for the gold plated? Uh- no, Mel's really good. It's me. I'm the problem. Yeah. I'm like, whatever the builder says, I'm like, that's a great idea. Something and, flashy and yeah, shiny. And he's like, everything's custom built, and he talks about high end, and Mel's like. What are you doing? We talked about this. We'd agreed. <laughs> and when I say we, you and I had discussed. I'd designed it. You'd gone like this, being nodding. Uh, and and now the builder talks to you and you come back to me going, hey, we should get rid of the like the vanities and get custom-built benches. And she said, you know that stuff costs a lot more. And I'm like, yeah, but we're only going to do this once. Well, so, this is where your financial advisor comes into play. Well, yeah, we sort of flip roles. I mean, I sort of did the initial, this is how much we can afford to... I suppose extend the mortgage because effectively that's what obviously what's what we're doing, and how long our repayment time frame is, and trying to get a balance to make sure that we don't take on so much debt that uh, we've got a, a goal to have the mortgage paid off by the time we're fifty. Mm. So I turned forty this year, so we knew you know if you're taking on a fairly big chunk of extra debt, we've got to be able to do it. So I did that bit. Um, but then Mel's been really good at making sure that we stick to like the the micro budget of. 
that well, actual like, spending. All, all, so. Yeah, and there's just mm. so much stuff to add in. So it's been that's been an interesting exercise. Do the kids get a say in anything? Or? They get to choose the colour of their room to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, Aiden, the 13-year-old, the is all very dramatic and teenager-ish at the moment. He's going for black or something. Oh, and he wanted like <laughs> this really deep sort of bluey purple thing, which is cool in theory, but, you know, you can tell he's sitting in here. The background is probably with all the lights open quite light, but as soon as you lose a bit of light, it gets quite dark. So, uh, yeah, they get input yeah, into the colour I got the given room, but not opportunity to pick my colour. I went for I went for. Blue with green sponge print on Yeah. But, and that was cool. That was cool when you were like 12 or 13. But as you sort of grew into older, like 16, 17, you're in your room and you're like, this, this isn't this ain't cool. Yeah. You get friends over, you know, like you don't really want to go, hey, come up to my room, check it out. But, yeah. Uh, so trying to convince a 13-year-old <laughs> that thinks he knows everything, that he doesn't know everything and trying to go, you know, in two, three, two, three years, you're just not going to love this is hard. Teach him how good white is as a Yes. Color. Yeah. You're going to love How versatile white. it yeah, is. Yeah, it is. It's just so many different tones and textures <laughs> as demonstrated by the, you know, the cream, the white, the ivory and, and the beige <laughs> and the jacket. It's not just a plain white jacket. Well, Steve, so you, you, t- you strike me as a sort of a feature wall guy. Is there a feature wall coming into the new uh, There might be. That's that's still up for debate. Mel's already sitting there. By the time this thing goes out, it's probably hopefully a lot closer to being finished. So uh, she's going, there was never going to be a feature wall, so why even pretend that there is? <laughs> We're just going to have distinctive colours, no feature walls. No okay. feature walls. And what sort of colours can we do? Uh, we which is Mel, mainly led by Mel and just endorsed by me. We're going sort of that blue, um, blue, grey uh, shell, eggshell type mixtures. Okay. So, yeah, trying to avoid the browns and the creams and all that sort of stuff that, yeah. Well, okay. Well, if anyone hasn't dropped off because we're talking about the colour of what Steve's mm. painting is out. Huge dropout right at the start. <laughs> we just wanted to filter the numbers. Uh, there's too many people listening these yeah, days. Yeah, so. Yeah, we've got people that um, that really are interested in what Steve has to say. That's They're hanging out through all the boring chit-chat at the start to get into the nuts and bolts of uh, the pearls that Steve's going to be sharing. I'll try. I'll try. Oh, I've got a question. Like, all the – you know how you do your benchmarking with the cash flow and stuff? Yeah. Has there been any changes in that, like, in the recent, like, last – Over the last sort of little yeah. while? Yeah, a little yeah. while. So, we, I mean, we've been tracking it. We've been publishing the data, when I say publishing, like internally publishing it for our clients to use and, and then via the, the course um, as well for four years, right? Mm. So we, we tracked it. We've been tracking it for sort of like six or uh, six years. The first year we sort of missed the start and the second year we were sort of still working out what we were doing around consistencies of, of categorizations and stuff. So it was really only the last four, and we'll tick over to five at the end of this financial year, it was really only the last four years where we did it one way, same way the whole time. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that said, over those four years, there are some trends that we've definitely seen. So, um, you know, average living expenses have gone down the last th- three of the last four financial years and then ticked back up last mm-hmm. year, um, largely driven by food costs and loan costs, which mm-hmm. you sort of understand. The loan costs is sort of the core of that. Um the, the core of people's expenses, which sort of sits underneath that living expenses stuff. Um, spending is, is an interesting one. And look, at the end of the day, our data in our benchmarks is not statistically reliable in the traditional definition. Well, it's a smaller cohort, yeah, I it's guess. It's a smaller cohort. It's like it's combined, it's like 150 people, but, you know, you break it up into numbers of clients, it's like 70. So it makes it um, harder to sort of draw... Uh, regular consistencies with it and try mm-hmm. and draw it out. But where we lose the reliability from a number of clients' perspective, we gain it from year after year of, of trends. So mm-hmm. the, the trends are, as I said, in the living expense one. Um, the other one is probably around uh, from a savings point of view. Mm-hmm. So we've seen you know, our clients' average savings go up over the th- three of the last four financial years and then last year it came off a little bit. Do you have the, uh, I suppose you can't track the ones that aren't clients. Uh, It'd be nice to get the, if you worked with us, you'd be like this. Well, I mean, so so we use the the closest thing that we can get as a proxy for this is what everybody else does Mm. is the um, ABS data around savings as a percentage of disposable income. Yeah. So anyone can Google that. How Um, regularly does that come out? Every quarter. Does it? Yeah. So. um, And does that, 
does that are you able to plug that in so it's sort of apples for apples like yeah. you can match well, it? I mean, again it's it's as close as we can get um I mean, you can use that sort of NATSEM data that comes out every now and then that AMP mm. do with them, but that's more geography-based, employment-based. Mm. It's not – we do things by uh, life stage, so we benchmark into singles, couples, and families. Yep. Um, and because all of our clients are Gen X and Gen Y, we it, it's hard to try and, and use data that is specific because it, it ends up being specific in a different way. So we've mm. sort of just gone, well, let's just use total savings, mm-hmm. total country. Um, so the average Aussie saves, if you pull, we do financial year analysis in the last four financial years. And this is the bit that, that sort of makes me a bit, um, I don't know, mad at, at the general Australian population is we tend to whinge a little bit. Um, I'm waiting for this. The rant's coming. It's coming. It's only getting warmed <laughs> up, right? So the average Aussie savings over the last four financial years has gone down. So when we first started doing this four years ago, I think we we measured it around about 9%. I'm trying to get the numbers right, but I, I can see the graph in my head, but I don't have the exact numbers. Mm. Let's say 9%. And then it's gone 9, sort of 8, or 8.5, eight, 8, and then it's come off huge, like a big drop mm. last financial year. But over the same corresponding period, our average client savings went up. So when we first started doing this, it was like, our average client saved 19% and the average Aussie saved 9 So it was good. It was like we, our average client saves double. Mm. Last financial year, the one just gone before, sorry, our average client saved, so this was FY16, average client saved 23.6% of their income mm-hmm. and the average Aussie saved like 7 So I sit there and go, why are our, like our guys aren't living in a different Australia to everybody else. Mm. So why is it that our guys are doing so well when everyone else is... Not, not everybody else is sucking, but the entire population mm. en masse is getting worse. Um, and that's the bit that frustrates me a bit. It's like, I don't think we're that special as a financial advice business that we're the only driver of the difference between the 23 and the 5 or 6. Mm. So that's when you sort of sit there and go, well, why? Like when interest rates are at an all-time low, mm. um, when other costs of living are lower as well, because interest has the cost of debt has a knock-on effect to all the other things mm. that you buy. The cost to supply goods, yeah. etc. Yeah. Um, and if that's at a lower point, then surely everybody, like the average Aussie savings figure, should have been going up, but it hasn't. So that's sort of you know. That, uh, that's been an interesting thing for me to watch and go, well, when is, when is Australia just going to realise that you can't just keep going to the bloody giant ATM, which is your house, mm. and expecting that that shit's just going to... So- Am I allowed to swear? I shouldn't be swearing, should swear I? Swear away. We uh, encourage it. That shit Only sh- if it's, like, for good stuff. Like. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's the... Well, we don't need to save money because our house just goes up in value. And, and so that's you're, what's so you're saying it's coming okay. from the house more than, like, credit cards these days because... People have just been able to revalue, revalue what the houses have just been. I think so, and I think the, I mean, the credit card is just getting paid out of the bills account, which is getting paid out of the offset, which is getting, mm. you know, if that runs out, they just redraw. Mm. You know, they cash out and get more money. And mortgage brokers, which which we're a part of that fraternity as well, um, are trying to do as best as they possibly can to ensure that Aussies have access to equity in a smart way. I just, mm. I just think without the coaching side. Yeah, if it, just, it does. The house just becomes like a giant ATM or a giant credit card with no, you know, there's no ramification of, of having to pay that stuff. Well, it's hard. Off. I've seen yeah. both sides because, like, as a mortgage broker, you're like the gatekeeper to it and you can help them get it. Yeah. But then the framework around what they do with it, yeah. like, they, they can be the best intentions yeah. in the world. But if uh, if the person that's been given that extra access... Uh, yeah, it doesn't have accountability, doesn't have... I suppose, the systems and the tools. I mean, we try to say that there's three reasons why our average client saves more than the average Aussie. Mm-hmm. And one, they've found a reason to save in the first place, mm-hmm. which is, I think, the core of this. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a reason to save, you are just not going to save money, which is why I crack the shits again whenever people whinge about Gen Ys not saving enough money. It's, it's bullshit. Like, Gen Ys that have a reason to save, save. Mm-hmm. Gen Ys that don't have a reason to save, don't save. And you can't give them shit about it because they don't effing well need to save yet. Like yeah. if they're sitting there going, I need to save and they're not doing it, yeah. then That's by all means, yeah. throw the toys out the cot. But if, if they're, they're complaining not, about yeah. their situation and not saving. Yeah. Mm. Then then rip them a new one. But, you know, first thing, have a reason to save. Second thing, have a system that makes it easy for you to save. So that's the whole budget and cash flow. 
the reporting side, which is which is cool because there's heaps of fintech now that makes that a lot easier mm. than what it used to be. Are um, you happy to go into a bit of that later? Yeah, yeah, happy to talk about that. Cool. I'm pretty opinionated on that stuff as per usual. Um, the main one's banking. Like for me, that uh, how people understand how to use their accounts and their environment, um, meaning the, the cards that they get with the accounts, mm. credit being one of those things. Well, as that for you me know as a mortgage one. broker that there's been like some accounts, like you might you might be you're assessing a loan for a certain reason. All of a sudden, there's this credit card that has to be had at, that's required by the bank. That yeah, sort of thing. And yeah, and you know they love to throw that stuff in. So mm. for us, the single biggest driver, you know, so so a reason to save in the first place is one, which is the goal setting stuff. And I think a lot of the financial planning community. It's, it's a good and a bad thing. The financial planning community en masse needs to step up to the plate and help clients do a better job of planning for their goals mm. in a realistic way. And I'm mm-hmm. not talking about retirement. If, if your client's 55 to 60, then go nuts on retirement planning. Mm. But if they're 25, 30, 35, like put a theoretical flag on the hill and then go, that's the end of the retirement conversation. We're going to get to that point, but it's so far away. Mm. Let's talk about real world stuff that happens between now and then. Mm. Let's talk about the next 12 months, three years, five years, 10 years. Mm -hmm. Because if they don't have a reason to save, they're not going to do anything, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the first thing. The second thing, obviously, is is the reporting and the feedback loop that comes through that driven by fintech. Mm -hmm. But the third part is the banking stuff. And this is where I've sort of already said, uh, I think financial advisors should be able to do simple credit advice. I was just doing um, bunny ears there for the, the podcasters. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge advocate of that. Because and we're talking about um, bank account management. Is that sort of... So bank account management, credit advice. So at mm-hmm. the moment, obviously, you know, you've got to be a mortgage broker to provide loans, mm-hmm. uh, advice around loans. I think financial advisors should be able to do that um, because it's a missing piece, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're an advisor and you're trying to do the budgeting and the cash flow stuff with clients and you can talk about theoretical structures around debt, um, but then there's this lending and banking is so um, interrelated. Mm, what's that, possible? Yeah, it, mm. it's, it's almost impossible to to complete your advice mm. without having that um, that component to it as well. Because you sort of just go, well, go and get an offset, get some cards, and then just make sure you sort of don't blow up. What's well, like, like the real estate missing- agent that says, oh, yeah, it'll be no problem. Without knowing anything about the client's like financial yeah. circumstances, so I think I mean that for me is the big thing in terms of trends. Um, the the savings for our clients has gone, continue to go up. Average Aussie's gone backwards. I think it's been fueled by t- too much easy credit combined with the mentality that as long as my property goes up in value, that I'll be all right, mm. um, and a little bit of the head in the sand that it actually shit might not be all right but instead of dealing with that i'm just going to spend my way through it Mm. um so that i think that i'm really uh i'm positive for the overarching uh view that australia is going to end up okay out of Mm. this i am really worried about a lot of aussies that are just when when the debt world turns Mm. they're going to be in an absolute world of hurt well i guess like just in the last six months like the a lot of the lending changes. Um, what are you, what are you seeing out of that? Do you think that's going to be the catalyst for, like, obviously the softening in the housing market? Yeah, and like a lot of people are going, ah, oh, finally, I've been talking about this might happen for like the last five years, yeah. and um, there's a bit of softening. But do you do you see some of the lending um, policy, APRA's influence, etc. Really carrying through and maybe having a more a stronger impact? Oh, massive! It, it's it is literally only just warming up. Mm. It's going to get to a stage where, and it, and my honest view is, it absolutely needs to. Mm. We have everybody in the in the industry. You know, we're recording this smack bang in the middle of the Royal Commission. Mm. Everybody inside lending, whether you're in a bank, a major, whether you're in one of the second tier guys, whether you're a mortgage broker, knows that the majority of the loans that are out there are mm. what they call liar loans, which mm. is people have put a living expenses figure in that is just absolute bullshit. And loans have been given and issued off the back of that number. Mm. So well, actually, the technology is really interesting in that space. Actually, that's coming to the fore. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen a couple of the ones that like I use this thing. There's this uh, bankstatements.com.au. Yeah, yep. they're awesome. Um, but also like 
the intelligence that's going behind that now. So, like, obviously, great, you get your statements, you need the statements, but actually the analysis of the spending and you're taking the human element out, even from the broker. Yeah. And so there's this, another one, Rely or something? Yeah. Okay. Have you a, seen what's going on? There's a few there? of them that are coming out now. This is going to be a good and a bad thing for, let's call it the debt advice industry, whether you're a mortgage broker or you're an advisor, mm. but let's just say it's the debt advice industry because um, we all know we're not at that profession stage yet. But mm. um, this is going to be a good thing, right? So we're going to have to validate expenses, mm. which we should have been doing anyway, and we've been doing it from day one. Mm. But the industry en masse needs to, needs to actually get a lot better at validating expenses. The problem that we've got is if everyone was brutally honest to the scent mm. of what they actually spent money on, no one's qualifying for a loan ever. Like mm. the, the, you're getting 150 grand. And the banks don't want that either, right? They're fully conscious of the fact that they need to find a, a middle ground that enables them to still lend but do it in a responsible lending way. Do you, say, do you see maybe it's almost like a you sort of go down that path where there's a lot more brutal accountability around the expenditure, but maybe that allows for the more stringent uh, servicing ratios yeah. to come down because the reason why they're up at such a... Like, if you look... Like, I reckon if you look across the world, our servicing ratios and the gap between what the interest rate is, the RBA rate, yeah. and what the banks assess at is probably probably the biggest in the world, I'd say. Like, yeah. Um, do you see... And, and to me, that's partly because they've been accounting for the risk that's yeah, out there in terms of they yeah. built it in. Yeah. So I guess the question is, if you're going to have that coming, are you going to get maybe that come down? So it sort of meets halfway. I think what they'll end up, do, I definitely agree that they will end up potentially looking at that. I think in the short term, if this was, if so let's just put it into context, right? So if if the the current Australian property situation and the debt you know, Australia has the highest level of debt to income in the entire Western world. So mm-hmm. if this environment's happened, if this uh, scenario is happening without the backdrop of a Royal Commission into mm-hmm. poor practices, mm-hmm. then I think what the lenders do is they go, look, let's massage this thing down to mm-hmm. a workable solution. I think a lot of this is going to get taken out of their control. Mm-hmm. I think the the powers that be down in Melbourne, as we're sitting here live now, are mm-hmm. ripping the financial advice arm, a new one. Um, the lenders have already been ripped and there's going to be more ripping mm. and they're going to come in and they're going to go, we do not care. You need to tighten this shit up. And I think what we're, what we're probably going to see mm. is it's going to come off a lot quicker than what we thought. So I think that, look, there's, and I don't like- And the RBA is going to have to step in to clean up the mess. Potentially, although the RBA has almost been, I'm not saying they've been removed in what we end up getting from a consumer point of view, Um but which they sort of have, like the big four control everything still, you know. Well, what I mean by that, I mean in terms of like if the if that tips like a deeper drop in um, economic activity yeah. by those changes, yeah. then the RBA is going to have no choice but to drop rates because yeah. activity is down. Which is like the worst thing that could happen for the country, right? None yeah, you don't need to go lower. Really. Yeah. So I think where it's going to play out from – so I'm optimistic from a, from a financial advice because I – I'm here to talk about, you know, the world for financial advisors and and, um, how we can do better at what we do and help our clients and Mm. all that sort of stuff, right? So um, I think this is whenever there's complexity uh, and overlaid with uncertainty, I think financial advisors have a huge opportunity to move into that space and Mm. try and remove the complexity and and provide clarity where the uncertainty is. Mm. So the uncertainty, the, uh, the uncertainty is going to be the first thing, which is one for people that are trying to get loans can I actually afford to get this thing? Will I qualify? I think you're going to see a lot of lenders will eventually move to a point where um, depending on your spending history, Mm. which will get fed to them either automatically through Mm. their systems and their scraping of the data, um, is going to heavily influence the level of debt that you can Mm. take on. And as a specialist, a lending specialist, again, whether you're an advisor or a mortgage broker, your job will be be to... um, help massage the data from raw spending, so what you actually spend, mm. through to realistic spending, which mm. is that adjustment, because mm-hmm. people are spending like rates of 4%. Mm. They're not spending like rates of 7.5%, which is what they're testing out, or 735 mm. depending on what it is. Yep. But if it went to 75 they'd cut back. But mm. the reality is no one knows what that looks like, so your job as a coach is to go, well, if it did get up to here, here's mm. where we think you could you could come off. Well, it's that decision around what is discretionary and what's not. Yeah, and this is where as an advisor and as a coach your job is to go well here's we actually think with some data with some benchmarks with some insight you could go from 
spending X amount, which is what you do now. We mm. think you could shave 5, 10, 15, 20% off. And I think, you know, five years ago, shit, not even that long, 12 months ago, any, any mortgage broker in the country would get a client walk in their door. They could go to every lender in the market and everyone's going to give the client best terms. So, mm. you know, you can get whatever loan you want, whatever pricing you want, whatever mm -hmm. limit you want, you know, subject to the usual stuff where people go, oh, well, it depends. No, mm. like 90% of people are going to qualify for stuff, right? Mm. I don't think it's going to be a level playing field in 12 to 24 months time. I think, and when, when you get an unlevel, an uneven playing field, the better advisors, the better coaches, the ones that have better ability to grab actual data provides the insights around that that makes a lender comfortable with what they're going to get mm. they're the ones that are actually going to be able to reap the opportunity that is well if i can i can actually help this client get the level of debt that they deserve mm. which still might be less than what they actually want mm. um but it'll be more than what they would have gotten mm. if they went in raw with mm. no ability to provide insights off that raw data. Mm. So I think we're going to go, you're right, like you were talking about the fintech stuff. Mm. We're going to go from a world where NFI, we had literally NFI how much money you spend, we'll assume it's the HEM index plus 500 bucks yeah. to we now know every cent that you spend because mm. we've been told we have to do that. Mm. And there's a gaping chasm between the two. We've got to find what's the reasonable number and I think a coach with the ability to get insights off that data will go, well, they might want you to come down to, you know, a lower level than what you want, but with our help, we can justify, validate, Ooh. move it up to Articulate a more appropriate level. Articulate why it may be appropriate. To yeah. Them. And this is a huge opportunity for advisors because the, the banks directly will find that very difficult to do because they'll be accused of feathering their own nest. Yeah, the intermediary space then has yeah. a option. Yeah, because if I'm if I'm going to a, a lender directly, and, and I and look, I think there's definitely a role for a direct lender relationship, and it's still obviously going to be you know forty to fifty percent of the market mm. for new loans being set up. But unintentionally, what happens off the back of this is they're going to get if if as a if I walk into a branch and the branch guy helps me say that I can ap apply to borrow fifty percent more than what the system spits out, computer mm. says no, right? That sort of stuff. Um, it's a Gen X joke for people that used to watch <laughs> Little Britain. And, and obviously, your your listening audience is too young for that shit, so they don't even know what that is. Hey, anyway, we've got a wide range of listeners. Uh, if, um, people of your cohort are starting to listen. That's right, the oldies, yeah. the, the Gen Xs, <laughs> the forgotten generation, the bitter and twisted and jaded, whinging bastards like me. Um, I think, you know, they walk into a branch, they apply for a loan, they say they want to borrow X, computer says no, it spits out like X minus 50%. If mm. a lender uh, sits there and goes, oh, no, we can move it up to 75, mm. there's a risk that they could be accused of only doing that because it writes a loan for that for the, their, their parent. Whereas if an intermediary does it, well, there's still, they're a step away from, they're still conflicted. Well, this is the they're thing. absolutely still conflicted, but they're a step away from conflict. I would love to see, this is going to, I might get, punched a little bit for this. I would Don't love to see- Don't advocate it too much. Let's just talk objectively about it, Steve. I would love to see FIFA service come in as an option mm. for lending. I looked at it like a couple of years ago because I was like, oh, okay, I'm going FIFA service on insurance. How do I, can can I do this for loans as well? Yeah. But the structure's not there. It's yeah, not I would add, I'd, or I'm 100% an advocate of the option for FIFA service. Mm. I still, we went FIFA service on risk seven years ago, mm. right? Um, and to this day, we still have issues from time to time where we're dialing commissions out, the bloody insurance company forgets to dial it out on their end, we get paid a commission, we've got to pay it back to them. Mm. It's just, a, it's a mess. It'd be great if we had naked pricing or, you know, mm. that sort of wholesale, like we've got on investments, we've got wholesale investments mm. and you add a fee on top. We've got whole, it'd be great when we get to wholesale risk, mm. you can add a fee on top if you want to, still have a commission product for the riskies out there if that's your belief system. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to get to that point from a lending point of view as well, where you say, well, look, we're going to have naked pricing. We're going to strip out the distribution cost out of the pre out of the rate. And mm. that's the reason why we don't do it either at the moment. We still take a commission on lending because it's it's physically impossible yeah, for us to strip to be it done. out. Yeah. Um, when I would love to have that as an option because then you can, you can now start to uh, use price as a leverage or as a, uh, as a point of difference. So mm. you can say... Instead of being a price taker, I get paid X by the lender. You can be a price maker and go, I'm going to match the market rate. So let's say it's you know, 0.7 for upfront and 0.1 mm. to 0.2 ongoing. Mm. You might choose to sit at market and go, well, your raw price, your naked price is, 
a loan of 3.7 or 3.5 and then I'll add my 0.2 on top. Mm. And for that service package, you get da-da-da-da-da. Or Mm. you can pay 0.3 and I'll add this in. Or you pay... Uh, you know, 0.05 for like an administration service. Or even just a fixed fee because think yeah. about like if you're outside of Melbourne and Sydney, think about the brokers that are out in like places where the average loan size is so much lower. Yeah. Like these guys are like you, you may, there's a lot of loans that people don't want to do or as a yeah. broker because of the, the what you have to go through to yeah. do it, you're not actually get, getting ahead. I think it's a great- uh, Where you again, could actually, it might it, you might get paid like $1,000, but it's costing you 1500 2000 to actually do the service. Yeah. You go, okay, well, this is the situation. I charge this much. This is what you're going to get for it. Yeah. Me. And this is the issue that the, you know, the brokers at the moment, the pure brokers are exactly where the pure riskies were say, you know, three years ago when we knew Lyft was coming in um, and it was 100% in a state of this is not fair, this is not reasonable, it's it's massively fear-oriented and it's completely valid. Like I was on the board of the AFA at the time mm. during Lyft mm-hmm. um, and FOFA around that as well. Um, and as a fee-for-service advisor, advice practice, it was very hard for me to comment on what uh, what how things could play out because, you know, we could always get accused of, well, it's not going to impact you, so why do you give a shit, you know, Mm. that sort of thing. Whereas I've said you need to have an option for commission. Mm -hmm. You need to have an option for no commission. But either way, if it's done fair and reasonably, then I think the consumer is going to get greater confidence in the sector. They're going to trust ultimately the people that either intermediate or a direct in that space, mm-hmm. and that has to be good for us. The more we've seen this, the more smoke and mirrors there are, mm. the less the trust is, which means our overall penetration into the market is lower, and we're all sort of fighting for a smaller mm. share of the pie instead of trying to open the whole. It's not about growing the pie, right? Mm. The pie is there. It's just we're only getting two slices out of the 10 slices at the moment. The other eight have just been taken off to another table and it's gone. Financial advisors, intermediaries can't touch that because that's the group that nobody, that that group doesn't want to talk to you. Mm. All we're doing is just saying, well, when we open it up, everybody wants to have a conversation. Mm. And if they still choose to not work with you, that's cool. But at the moment, it's like eight in 10 of us just aren't even having the conversation. And that that is a problem for advisors. And I think if things don't play out in a good way from a mortgage broker point of view, mm. it'll drop as well. Yeah, I think the challenge, one of the challenges is the obviously always the cost to serve. And like I think where like what's so interesting in advice is how people are breaking things down and getting into that one-to-many space and trying to break down the value and deliver it um, in smaller chunks. And because it is, it's hard to do the full yeah, it is. service without the cost. Like yeah. you just can't do it. And I don't know, like it, the only way I can see that changing if regulation stays the same is technology coming to the fore yeah. and allowing certain things. And and I don't even know if it's like robo-advice. It's almost like, it's like robo, just robo standard stuff. Like yeah. just- Yeah, so like <laughs> yeah reg tech will, will, will hopefully- Yeah, reg tech. Fix uh, a lot of this because a lot of you, I mean, we know this across our business. We've got the two brands, the, the consumer facing brand, and then obviously XY being the- coaching brand um inside ew we've got the mortgage broking um we've got the financial planning and then the the budgeting and the cash flow stuff sort of sits as a standalone offer within the financial planning and and the most expensive to run by miles is financial planning Mm. you know in if if we didn't think that uh financial planning and goals-based advice was the logical continuation of a, of a money management conversation, mm. we would not do financial planning. Oh, you're not in it for like, it's the best business. No, yeah, God, yeah. no. Yeah. You know, mortgage broking at the moment, we're fully conscious of the fact that that is by far the most profitable for us mm. because we're absorbing all of the cost on the planning side and then we're just fulfilling the loan on the lending side. So mm. I think from a financial planning point of view, it's, it is very expensive to do broad holistic service, but... We're also not expected to do everything. Like we have to start to shift our mentality around I either do everything for the client or I do nothing for the client. Like mm. I think you have to move to a, a, almost- a user pays type model where they, they set the parameters around how much they get from you mm. and you give them options to progressively purchase their way up. 
mm. to full service. Well, we've done we've done a full process around getting the right partners in the other areas of financial services. So um, instead of like, so for general insurance, um, like obviously lending, their asset finance, things like that, because people have these needs and it's like not th- that stuff doesn't traditionally come into that fiduciary duty space like it's sort of it's sort of, it's on the periphery of it yeah. like there's still that core but and the core is like the estate planning like investment management insurance yeah but like i think as you're saying it's sort of you you don't need to necessarily do it you just need to have your mechanism of how it goes to that next destination once that you need to be able to identify it yeah and then have a really have a good customer journey to get that outcome like taken care of yeah or that need taken care of so. yeah and then look i don't think our business by any stretch of the imagination is is nailing it across all three um three offers lending advice and and coaching but i think what we've tried to do at least anyway is and this was part of the reason why we left our previous licensee and got our own license was what we wanted to do was say we're going to start with the customer and the client and i say customer because you know you could have bank people listening to this and that's the language that they have to use we mm-hmm. call clients obviously mm-hmm. um we're going to start with the client we're going to work out what financial headaches they've, they've got what goals they, they want to achieve and then we're going to build an advice process out of that mm. and then we're going to make it compliant mm. and then we're going to deliver the thing mm. as opposed to and we're going to find the products and stuff that, that mm. fulfills that whereas the industry's obviously come out of product centered compliant compliance sort of underpinned advice that a consumer then has to sort of be forced into and also like a package even arguably even if you took the product out of it like it's it's very hard like if you're thinking about how a lot of people learn advice it's like a package thing yeah it's like it's even though you don't have a financial product there you've got a a service package that's there is a saleable product and sometimes it's not broken down sufficiently to yeah. to deal with what you're talking yeah. about. So I think what's happening now with the, with the RC and um, I think what it's going to do is I think it's going to awaken the beast of the overall general Australian population um, with a few leaders at the front of that, one being you know the government, one being different sectors of industry. Um, we're absolutely smack bang in the middle of a change environment. And mm. at the other side of this, I think there's a huge opportunity for advisors to use that as a catalyst to go, do I want my 2020 beyond business model to look like my 2010s mm. business model? Um, and if the end outcome is absolutely, but you know, quite often I get, I get frustrated when I do like PD days and stuff with some of the more traditional institutional licensees um, I don't get mad at the licensees and, and I, I don't bear a grudge against the licensee that I came out of and we, mm. we, we ultimately ended up leaving because it's their job to like manage risk, right? Mm. They're the ones that carry the risk of the license. And mm. we were a square peg in a round hole and we knew that, right? Mm. So so the risk was for a, the, the, the job was for us to change, not make them change. But too often I hear advisors sitting in licensee land saying, oh, but my licensee won't let us do that. And I'll go, well, have you asked one? Have you two, you know, have you put a proposal on, here's how I want to do it, mm. show me why this can't work, mm-hmm. as opposed to, I want to do something, build it for me. Mm. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we did when we're in licensee land that other advisors didn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the licensee was happy to sign off on it because we'd done the work, we'd, we'd stress tested it, we'd shown them how they weren't going to be um, adversely impacted and their mm-hmm. overall level of risk wasn't going to be increased. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's what that's what's going to have to happen now. You know, I I personally don't see product owners having a huge footprint in the licensee space mm. in three to five years' time. I think the Australian market will move to be a lot more like the US in terms of where it's heading in the UK market, which is you're going to have advisors that are individually licensed or practice licensed, mm-hmm. um, and then they'll be monitored, measured and all that sort of stuff over the top, whether it's by an industry body or it's, you know, via ASIC and their extending powers. Mm. I don't think we're going to see these huge sort of multi, multi-state multi licensees that are owned by product owners anymore. I just don't mm. think that's going to – I don't think that world is can continue to exist after what's happening in Melbourne this week. Yeah, it's a challenging um, 
Yeah. The, yeah. the, the, the outcomes, I don't know, when. what's the timeline for September? September. Well, September's what it closes at the end of the year. I think September next year is when they'll, um, they'll start feeding it back. Mm. But, you know, this thing could get extended. We don't know. But financial advisors traditionally have looked rightly or wrongly to their licensees for support, for and, support mm. and, and guidance, and this is how you should run a practice. Mm. Now, that's been good in certain sectors, in certain types of advisors, in certain environments. So, you know, obviously, if you've got a very heavy pre-retiree, retiree base tilt in your business, licensees have been great in that because they're born, if you look at what they need, it's retirement-based advice. Mm. And there's a lot of legislation and, and there's a huge technical element attached to it and there's superannuation, there's retirement products, and the licensees are born out of that world so they get it and they mm. understand it. But if you're moving to, which I think most businesses are going to have to do whether they like it or not, to mm. move into the Gen Y and Gen X spaces, um, that the licensees, what they need is is well, help working out what their goals are. They need help working out how much money they've got and they need help managing their debt that they either already have or they're desperate to take on because mm. the Australian love affair with property is not going to go away. I don't uh, know. Sharp drop could knock that off. It few. might, but all that's going to do is it's just going to help the people that have been sitting on the sidelines going, about fucking time, it's my turn to, you know, I don't want to talk about house prices going up as, as a good thing I want to talk about how price house prices going down is a good thing. There's enough people waiting on the sidelines. There's heaps waiting on the <laughs> sidelines. So if you want to if you want to participate in that space, then your your offer from what they want. So the, we talk about products, but the the product of advice of what they want has to evolve around what they actually need. But mm. it's not just what they want; it's the way they want to consume it, which is what you were talking about before in terms of service packages. And I think Aussies. Aussie advisors are en masse, actually, the most evolved financial advice businesses in the world. I think as, a, as an entire cohort, the our evolution out of and away from product-based advice to strategic-based advice to goals-based, lifestyle-based advice, mm. we're ahead of the curve mm. compared to every compared to the UK and the US, which are probably the, the two other biggest you know, sectors to compare against. But I think in terms of the evolution of the way we, pri- we mm. provide that advice. Like the business model, the structures. So business model structures, but more, you know, use of um, digital delivery. So mm. virtual meetings, use of video, you know, use of voice, that sort of stuff. Where um, and, and the way that we construct our offers, that sort of all or nothing. Mm. Um where we're lagging way behind. Yeah, I think the the open business model. I think there needs to be a lot more lateral thinking, and this and it's really hard. It's it's sometimes really hard to think about because that's. I, I guess it requires a bit of an entrepreneurial sort of bent. Um, well, it's it's not just that as well. I mean, it absolutely requires an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial bent, but it it also requires you to be in an environment where you're able to be entrepreneurial. And again, this is another huge knock on mm. on a licensee type model mm. because. Again, no discredit to the licensees, not bagging them out. They need to manage everybody. Mm. So if you want to run, if Paddy wants to run a, in their eyes, a completely left of centre approach to advice, mm. and I know who you're licensed through as well, and I mm. understand that I can I completely imagine that when you started doing some of the things that you want to do, you didn't expect your licensee to build that model for you. You mm. went, I'm going to be the black sheep. I'm the one that's going to go different. I'm mm. going to build it. But like 97% of your cohort inside your licensee wouldn't do it that way. So I think there's what it's going to do apart from the entrepreneurial mindset is it's going to, it, it'll when the licensee world breaks up, it'll be like, the shackles are off. You know, advisors can finally run their practices they w- the way they want to. And there's going to be a huge bunch that'll be throwing their hats in the air going, this is amazing, I can't wait. There'll be a huge bunch that will go, well, I don't really know that I want to do that. And I think they'll find a way to, to, to cobble together as a community mm. um, under your, I don't want to say independent, but your non-bank-owned licensees. Mm-hmm. And there'll be a huge bunch that'll get stuck in the middle that'll just be sort of, uh, you know, a little bit deer in headlights and go, I've mm. never had to take this, I've never had to think independently around this stuff. Mm. 
I've never needed to make decisions around how I run my practice t- mm. to this degree. I've always had to make decisions around how I run my practice, but not how much effort do I put into technology? How much effort do I put into the sales and marketing process? How much effort do I put into reg tech? And, you know, what does my offer look like? What's my pricing model look like? What do my service packages look like? All of that stuff will go from either being, you know, overtly dictated to you by a licensee mm. to um, here's what we strongly suggest you do mm. to this is now completely up to you. Yeah. And I think that's going to cause a lot of advisors to sort of get into a little bit of a fear state. Mm. But Thank you for XY Advisor being around. Eh? I was going to say, I mean, you know, I've been a huge fan of you boys, even though I don't agree with 100% of, of what all of you say 100% of the time. <laughs> That's quite a broad spectrum of uh, commentary you're covering there. <laughs> well, what, I mean, the reason why you guys have grown to a, uh, a community size that you have uh, and again, I was on the AFA board at the time and AFA had Gen X and FPA at the time didn't really have a, a young advisor community. Um, AFA sort of owned that space, but because of the evolution of AFA moving away from a sort of membership-driven, networking-oriented core of what their value prop was to professional standards um, and education, they sort of had to leave a little a bit of the community stuff to the to the wayside Mm. and you guys moved into that space now if if advisors weren't looking to come together in a community you guys wouldn't have been successful because as inspiring individually as the four of you are (laughs) um that on its own is not enough to make people want to come together hang out together and continue to hang out together and then facilitate discussions and stuff so i think advisors will when, when the licensee world and the ecosystem that they're a part of evaporates, and it will, um, they will flock to the, next, to, to the next logical sort of hometown. They'll just migrate to a different pond. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys are set up to take on that. But it'll, I'm, I think we actually don't know what the it next iteration is going to look like. Steve. I'm not saying that you guys will be licensees, <laughs> but I'm saying what you will be is a safe place to go. Well, I think that's where, where we, that's what it know, is already. Yeah. Like if you, you're talking about the challenges coming through and how that cohort that you've sort of said, oh, okay, there's going to be the people that are sort of getting it and they're making something of it. There's the people that are going to just stick to what's been done and they're just going to hold on to it. And then there's going to be this grey area. Like the numbers of people, like if you're talking, we're over 1,800 people in the Facebook group. I think that sort of speaks to a lot of people having that thought process yeah, in the last last so many months and, and can see that there needs to be change. And, like, I'm just glad if people are getting those ideas that they need out of the group. Like, it's – I think that's – like, it's it's almost I, – I like referring to the group as, like, it's crowdsourcing for ideas. Yeah. Like, and it just – the efficiency of being able to – because I don't think anyone – no one wants to go out there and tell people exactly how – this is exactly how it needs to be done. Yeah. Because not everyone knows exactly – even if you've got a certain opinion, you don't know it's going to apply to – and, like, you're a very strong feeling about how you do things, but you acknowledge that it's there's so many broad ways to do yeah. things. And it's so hard for a licensee, for the FBA, AFA to go do that, to say that this is how you should do things, this is the guiding light that it's the only way that can really happen is by people, the community actually just sharing. And like that, to me, that's the way that it can happen efficiently where people are just throwing out ideas, people grab what they want and run with it. Yeah. And just the feedback loop. Yeah. And I think, look, I think advisors are still going to need a central source for what um, ultimately will become, here's how you run a best practice compliance oriented Mm. practice. Um, I think that'll probably move towards the industry bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously with the code that comes through, that's going to be a core role of of making sure that you operate the right way. Hopefully ASIC provides a lot more certainty and clarity around what best practice and what compliant versus non-compliant mm-hmm. um, looks like. Because I think at the moment, if you lined up the top five licensees, um, there'd be probably an, you know, an 80-20 rule in there that 80% of what they say is compliant, all of them would agree with. Mm-hmm. And I think you'd have a, a, an outlier that says, you know, in one licensee, they deem something that you do to be compliant. Another licensee would call that non-compliant. Mm. Um, so I think what we all need, if we're going to move away from a licensee body driven industry towards the profession that we all ultimately want to get towards and part of that's education, um, we also need 
better clarity around what is compliant mm. and what is non-compliant. And then if, if whatever body we shackle under, we cobble under to be able to do that, that's where I want it to stop, though. I want it to, mm. for the bodies to then go, okay, that's the end of our bag, right? There's no restrictive compliance yeah. you're talking about. It's like a something that's going to make sure the principles of legislation and, I guess, the associations are upheld yeah. without restricting innovation yeah. and, like, the adaptation yeah. that needs to occur. And, and look, at the moment, again, not, not hanging it on the licensees, they have had to wear, like, a thousand hats, right? So they sort of cop... Planning software and compliance go hand in hand, whereas mm. I don't think advisors actually want planning software as it's evolved into. I think advisors want sort of this sort of goals-based client CRM model where you can put the client in the middle, you sit there, and yes, there's a section that sort of has helped me stay compliant, mm. but the next bit is help me help my clients make better decisions, help me mm. see what's going on in their world, help me stay in touch with them, help me find more of them, help me measure their happiness and mm. their effectiveness and all mm. that sort of stuff. And I think when you guys, is obviously one of the communities that fosters conversations around innovation, around different thinking, I'm, I'm super optimistic to be a part of the profession in, I don't I'm say industry now, profession by 2024 when we've all sort of moved on to the next world mm-hmm. of education. I think there's going to be so much stuff that comes out from an enablement point of view mm. that the conversations we're going to be having with our clients, the way that we do it, um, it's going to be like 10 times better than what it is now. Yeah, and when the, half of the stuff doesn't even exist yet, oh, the tech, we've not had an opportunity to talk about it. pretty exciting. So... There you go, mate. I'm all. I'm not all Captain Negativity. Right, this is, maybe it's just maybe Clayton brings that out in you. Maybe right? it is. Maybe, maybe it's Clay. Yeah, he's like, I just gotta. He's he's too bright and bubbly. I gotta just bring this down a notch. No, well, cash flow was his idea, and uh, he made it up. Does that get you agitated? Maybe is that what goes? No, on? No, no, no. Look, I mean, he might have thought of it. One, he didn't think of it first. I did two. Um, he <laughs> My might way's have thought better of than it, his. But yeah, I, we, I sort of <laughs> left him. He's still. Kicking a can along in the dirt, man. I've, we've absolutely blown past him, and that's okay. And he's moved on into his space. He's well, recognised. Well, in five years' time, you guys can both be like in Wikipedia. Keep on changing each other's version of the story. That's right. Where cash flow came from in Australia, yeah. and you know, it is definitely thing. And look, cash flow is obviously a huge part of what we do, but it's you know, it's it's not. It's not the only thing we do. We're trying to do some other stuff as well. Yeah. So give us a little bit of a like. If people want to get involved, because like I, I think you're doing great things in cash flow, and if people want to get an insight into this, this part of this segment of financial advice, yeah, and they're looking for ways to, to step into it. Yeah, so I mean the the, the cash flow course was I suppose well, initially we started training workshops around cash flow, right? So budgeting, cash flow, banking, um, and it's evolved into uh, online course, which is, I think, far more palatable for the community on mass because mm-hmm. you know you don't have to wait for a certain time location. It's obviously a, a hell of a lot cheaper for them to do self-paced learning than it is to lob up to a one-day intensive workshop. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was sort of the guts of what we did. Um, but in the, I reckon I've trained about three hundred to three hundred and fifty advisors around the country now on this over the last five years. Um, and I asked them, you know, where are you from? Why are you here? What are you trying to get out of this? And it's like 95 have said, we want more Gen XY clients and we see cash flow as the cornerstone of what we're going to be able to offer them. So logically for us, building that thing was the was the first thing to do. Mm. But I think once you've, and you'd see this in your practice, and I know loads of the XY guys are sort of preaching to the converter because half of them are probably doing a better job at cash flow than what we are now. <laughs> Um, that's not true. We're killing it. But <laughs> no one's got your benchmarking. No, no, they don't. But they should have their own benchmark. Yeah. <laughs> um, what we're seeing is as you evolve, the, the starting point is help you un- help your clients understand what their numbers are. Mm. The evolution of that is help them understand what they can do with it. And mm. so, this is really where I think goals based advice is really going to kick off. For me, that's the next frontier, um, and it's it's around live sort of semi-live or at least dynamic it's that discovery discovery yeah and conversations mm. around my money like last night i'm sitting with a client um at at their place and, and when i don't normally do a lot of in-home appointments but you know it's eastern suburbs it's a beautiful part of the world so i get to hang out there and then run along and have views of the harbor so happy days for me win-win right <laughs> but i'm sitting there with them and these guys have got like half a million dollars of of equity unlocked in their home 
and they want to spend 150 grand on a renovation. Well, actually, initially they said they wanted to spend 50 grand on a renovation, um, and it, the the whole catalyst of the conversation was they've been with us for three or four years and they've improved their savings, but they're still nowhere near what they could be doing. And mm -hmm. they asked me, it was a really honest question. They actually opened it up with, the first thing we want to talk about is whether or not this is actually working. Because at the moment we're paying you money mm. um, and we just don't feel like we're getting the most out of it, and, mm -hmm. but we want to, but we want to have a conversation around, you know, whether or not it's worth it. So it was really raw and it was super honest and it was great. And we're huge advocates. That's why we're fee for advice. As, mm. soon, as, you want to, as soon as we're not doing our job anymore, you bail. Um, but she said, why aren't we doing as good with money as your other clients? As uh, Surely we're in the bottom quartile. And I said, the reality is everybody else has a reason, reason to save and they're actively working towards that. And you guys are just going through the motions. So until you find a reason to do something, you're just going to keep getting what you're getting. So we need to help you find a reason. So what do you actually want to do? And they've talked about stuff with us before. And I've gone, no, 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 but this is the problem. It's always five years, 10 years, 15 years mm -hmm. away. And you're just not getting started. You need something. What do you want to do now? And then the thing was, well, the cupboards are falling off the kitchen doors. Um, and I said, okay, well, that's only little. You can fix that. And then it opened up into, yeah, but what we really want to do is actually do the kitchen, renovate the thing. And mm -hmm. while we're at it, do the bathroom. I'm like, right, let's, so let's actually find this. And from there, it evolved into, well, we'll spend 25 up to 50. And I said, well, let's see if we can stress test you at 150. Pull your numbers up, plug 150 grand of debt into it, put a P&I of 25 years because they're early 40s. Mm -hmm. um, Here's how much it is. And I think it was like 900 at an average rate of 6%, right? Yeah. So it was like 950 bucks was the repayment. And then I went to their spending figure and this is where the benchmarks kick in. They're above average spenders. I said, mm -hmm. do you guys, all you've got to do is cut 900 bucks a month out of your spending and you get your renovation and you get your bathroom and you get your kitchen and you get basically phase one of the big, the big thing. Mm -hmm. um, and... And they basically said, so hang on a sec, all we're going to do is reduce that down. They go, oh, but we're not spending that much. I'm like, yeah, but compared to your peer group, you're over. I'm just, I'm not telling you to have no life. I'm just saying, come back a little bit. Mm. So what happened was it went from we're sucking at our numbers to, even though they're not, they still saved like 15% of their income last year, to we now have a reason that we need to save money, or at least if we're not going to save more money, we need to have a reason to cut back on our spending, mm. which we're going to reallocate to the debt. Um, and then that that kicked into now we have a real reason to make sure our banking structure works properly, mm -hmm. which means we have to need to have a real reason to understand which card we pull out when we're going to the pub and which card we pull out when we're going to pay for groceries, mm -hmm. and what our buckets are named online, and mm -hmm. and so all of this happens, and and this is I think what where we're moving into. So we started with the budgeting and the cash flow. The next thing for us whether it comes, you know, this year, probably this year, will be this sort of goals-based advice um, program where mm. it's right from the inception of values-based goal planning with mm -hmm. clients through to how do you actually do more short-term goals-based advice. Mm. Not, I think the industry's nailed longer-term strategic mm. stuff, right? Everybody's all over that shit. Yeah. I think what we're not as good at is the shorter-term, I have money, show me what, what happens if I go down option ba option one versus option two? It's a bit what rawer. if, what if, what if? Yeah, and that's the stuff that we've it's been working more on for a while. The um, accountability in that one's a bit, it's a bit more. Well, it, it, it plugs the gap as well. I think financial planning tradition, as again, you know, we started out of a retirement industry and out of an insurance industry. And mm. both of those for both of those events, are one, people don't want to think about. Two, the other one is so far away for a 30 something that having a value proposition that is heavily anchored on those two things mm -hmm. is a huge risk for a business mm -hmm. because it's such a long time before you actually get, you know, to realise that. So I think from a business point of view, if I'm going to be selfish and put my business owner's hat on, I need something that keeps them interested in wanting to talk to me mm. before they turn 65 or unless the shit hits the fan and they get run over by a car, mm. right? So this goals-based advice is is just an opportunity to... One, talk about what they want to talk about anyway. All the research is underpinned that this is what they actually care about. Two, it gives me an opportunity to engage with them on regular points throughout the year. And mm. we're sort of moving on this journey, milestone progression stuff, you yep. know, quarter by quarter. 
this is what you're working towards over the next three, six, nine, 12 months. Yeah, it's stronger engagement yeah. and relevance. But what it does is it pushes advisors to redefine their value, mm. redefine their service packages, mm-hmm. redefine the way they deliver stuff, mm-hmm. You know, challenge whether or not their value is linked to percentages of assets or product sales and moving towards more dollar fees. And then when you get to dollar fees, am I going to go variable pricing? Am I going to go more of a fixed one mm. size fits all? I'm going to create packages. Is it going to be optional or is it going to be standardized? How am I going to deliver this stuff? You know, mm-hmm. virtual video voice. Um, and that's the stuff that I think logically, yes, it starts with the cash flow because you've got to know how much they need. Mm. Right. But then it evolves into, well, once they know that, then what? Mm. And logically it's like, well, what do we do with it? Uh, and so that's the stuff that we're going to start to probably do more of. I'm going to do more of this year is trying to help advisors with still help with the budget and the cash flow. That's definitely mm. going to be there as a core. But with those that are ready to do, okay, well, now what? Well, it's, you're finally, we finally got the data and we never used to have the data. Yeah. Like the, and we didn't get into our tech discussion, but I think, mm. I think we covered some good stuff. Yeah. Right? So, Steve? We're done. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. As always. Yeah, we're looking forward. We'll have to have a text discussion next time. We will next time, and I'm, I'm sure I'll uh, lobby in. Into we'll, we'll see what the, the um, podcast numbers are, and if, if they're up high enough, we'll get you back on. No worries. I'll, I'll get back in the queue, but you guys, it's, it's a mile long. So um, I'm 20. By the time I get back in, it's probably next year, and hopefully I've actually launched some of the shit that I've been banging on about as well. Oh, we're upping the number of podcasts, so oh, there you that go. could be another spot. Cool. Cheers, Dave. Thanks, bud.